Hola a todos y bienvenido a otro episodio de Med Student Spanish, el único podcast donde se puede aprender español para el hospital y también para la calle. Yo soy Adrián de León y estoy aquí con el mismísimo Guerro. ¿Qué pedo, güey? Hola. Bueno, yo soy Esteban Ferraro y estoy aquí con mi, con mi compadre. Somos los vatos médicos. Y bueno, estoy bien. No me lo puedo quejar, pero que tenemos mucho nieve aquí en Spokane, ¿no? Yeah, man, and nobody knows how to drive in the snow here. <laughs> so, um, before this episode, we're actually going to do it in a little bit different format. Um, so to keep us from going off track like we tend to do, we're going to just start off with a scenario, a dialogue in Spanish. And then the second part, we will be breaking down that dialogue, kind of giving some clues and some tips and pointers about how to take a good HPI um, on a patient with shortness of breath. And then the third part will be Uh, talking about some of the medical management of COVID. And this is just something that we're wanting to try out right now. Um, as always, we're open to suggestions. So if you guys are kind of making your way through the first few episodes and you find that this one isn't really the one that works well for you, be sure to shout us out on Instagram or Twitter. Um, hit us up on our email, medstudentspanish at gmail.com. And just let us know like what worked, what didn't work. Uh, we're, we're definitely open to ideas. This is kind of our first time we've done this. So this is what we're going with. Exactly. Yep. Let us know. Give us some feedback and we will um, change accordingly. So Adrian, ¿estás listo? Yes, sir. Okay. Here is your case. Un hombre que tiene 86 años que se presenta al hospital con dos días de fiebre, tos y dificultad respirando. You are the med student in the emergency department. Go. All right. So I think we're going to have to get the N95 and throw some goggles on there, get the appropriate PPE before we enter the room. Step one, scene safety. Yeah. Okay. So I'm all, I'm all garbed up. I've got everything to protect me. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and go in. Hola, ¿cómo está? Hola, buenas tardes. Uh, usted es el señor Rodríguez. Sí, claro. Mucho gusto. Me llamo Adrián. Soy estudiante de medicina trabajando con el doctor Blank esta noche. Ah, igualmente. Gusto de conocerte. Bueno, para que usted sabe, vamos a hablar de sus síntomas y hacer un examen físico. Y después hablaremos sobre las pruebas y tratamientos. Ok, me parece bien. Entonces, ¿qué está pasando? ¿Por qué llegaste al hospital? Sí, pues hace dos días comenzó con un poco de tos y dolor de garganta, pero ayer me desperté en la mañana con fiebre. Ok, entonces tienes un fiebre, también tienes tos y también entiendo que tienes dificultad respirando. Ah, sí. Ok. Uh, ¿Y esta tos uh, viene con flema o está húmeda? No, no, entonces está seca. Ok. ¿Tienes algunos otros síntomas? Pues sí, la verdad es que me siento como mierda. Todo el cuerpo se duele, tengo dolor de cabeza y no puedo comer nada. Ah, lamento que sientas tan enfermo. Mm. Pero fue buena idea que hayas venido al hospital. Mm. ¿Y por qué no se puede comer? ¿Tienes náusea? Sí, pues tiene náusea, diarrea, pero no tengo ganas de comer porque no puedo oler ni saborear nada. Ay, qué raro. Ajá. Mm -hmm. Entonces, a ver si entendí. Hace dos días que has tenido fiebre, tos seca y luego dolor de cabeza y también dolor en los músculos. Así es. Y, y ahora me falta el aire. Como si tengo que respirar doble. 
Ok, entendido. Uh, ¿Le podemos poner esta máscara para ayudarle con el oxígeno? Uh, gracias, me siento mejor. Y luego también puedo poner uh, esta maquinita para checar los, su nivel de oxígeno. Bueno. Ok, muy bien. Entonces, unas preguntas más. ¿Tienes otros problemas médicos? Bueno, aparte de tener 86 años, pues yo me mantengo. Ok, muchos años de experiencia, pues. Psh, más bien 100 años de soledad. Pero sí, tengo diabetes, hipertensión y cataratas. Ok, ¿y algunas más? ¿Problemas con el corazón, los pulmones, los riñones o quizás el hígado? Ojalá que no. Al menos nadie me lo dijo. ¿Y usted fuma? Ah, sí, pero solo como un cigarro por día. Ok. ¿Y tomas alcohol? Ah, el mismo. Una cerveza por día. Tal vez más si cuando gana las chivas, ¿no? <risa> ok. Pues sí respeto las chivas. <risa> ¿Y usted viene de Guadalajara o de dónde? Sí, yo nací por allá, pero yo he vivido aquí hace como 30 años. Ok, está bien. ¿Y con quién vives? Eh, yo he vivido con mi hijo y su familia desde moría mi esposa hace cinco años. Ay, lo siento escuchar eso. Gracias, que en paz descanse. Sí, entonces, ¿nadie más en su casa está enfermo? Creo que no, pero hay tantos muchachos y chamacos visitando para la Navidad que quién sabe. Sí, eso es la temporada. Ok, ¿ahora le puedo examinar? Sí. Ok. ¿Puedes respirar hondo o pro profundo? Sí, ok. ¿Otra vez? Ok, puedes relajar. Y puedes respirar normal. Voy a escuchar a su corazón. Muy bien. Entonces, habla, hablemos de las posibles causas de su condición, las pruebas para investigarlos y los tratamientos. Pero primero, me interesa saber qué cree usted que está pasando. ¿Y hay algo que le preocupe especialmente? Pues claro que me preocupa tener esa enfermedad de COVID, ¿no? Y tengo miedo de contagiar a mi familia. Sí, yo te escucho. Y también estoy preocupado porque estos síntomas se parecen mucho al COVID. Entonces, vamos a hacer la prueba de COVID y también unas más pruebas de sangre para chequear que todo está bien. Vamos a tomar una radiografía del pecho mm. para ver a los pulmones y luego un ECG, es electrocardiograma, mm. para mirar cómo está funcionando el corazón. Ok. ¿Se parece bien? Sí, lo hagamos. Ok, so that was our first case, and now we're going to take a quick ad break from our sponsors, and we, when we come back, we will break down the, the conversation and the dialogue. Med Student Spanish is brought to you in partnership with Speak Studios and Speak Spokane, presented by Delish Hamburgers. Speak Spokane is a community-driven studio space where voices from all walks of life can speak and be heard. You can find them on Instagram and Facebook at Speak Studios, Speak Spokane, and at their website, speakpodcasting.com. Speak Studios. Speak and be heard. Okay, so welcome back. Let's break down some of that Spanish. I know we said a lot and we were talking pretty fast, so why don't we, why don't we start from the top and sort of break it down line by line? So... All right, so we had a patient who presented with dos días de two, two days of fiebre, which is a fever, tos, which is a cough, y dificultad respirando. So this can be um, kind of interpreted different ways. So this is difficulty breathing um, or feeling short of breath. Um, short of breath would be like falta de aire. Mm -hmm. And so Adrian quickly makes uh, makes right the scene 
makes the right scene safety decision, straps up with his N95, mascara, and his goggles. Is that how you say mask? That's what I looked up. It said mascara. Yeah, that's what I would that's what I would say, and that's what I would tell a patient is I'd put a mascara on. But, okay. Um, yeah. And then he starts out with the formal, kind of boring, but always good to stay formal. Hola, como esta? Uh, yeah, and if this is in the afternoon, you can do a buenas tardes. Mm-hmm. Then he confirms that the patient is who he thinks they are. Yeah, usted es el señor Rodriguez. To which he replies, Así es. Así es. And that's a great line to know because it's cool, but it's also kind of wise and zen, right? Así es. Like, that's how it is. Is that is that what you would interpret it as? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's It's also a little bit, uh, it can be like, Así es la vida. That's kind of a shortened version, which is a little stoic, kind of that's how life is. But yeah. Yeah, Así es la vida. That's kind of like, I feel like people get that tattooed on their ankle or something. Yeah. <laughs> kind of just means like, that's, that's life. It's like that Frank Sinatra song. That's life. Así es la vida. Um, yeah, it kind of reminds me of a, another similar phrase, que será, which is uh, what will be, will be. So, que será, será. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have, uh, <laughs> I have a friend whose parents have a boat, and it's, the name of the boat is que será, será, but it is spelled like the wine, será. I thought that was pretty <laughs> clever, but okay, we're going to stay focused here. Um, so, that's the closest thing we're going to be get to conjugating verbs on this podcast is here just noticing that así es and que será, será are both just different conjugations of the verb ser, which is to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so the two phrases así es is the present tense. You're saying kind of that's how life is. Mm-hmm. And then que será, será is the future tense. You know, what will be, will be. Yeah, totally. So that kind of brings us full circle to what we said our goal is to teach you guys the 20% of verbs that are going to make up 80% of the language. So um, said is going to join last week's word poder on the list of verbs that are muy importante. Oh, and I'm about to come full circle and tie both of these verbs together um, with another super chiller kind of Zen phrase here. Puede ser. <laughs> I see what you did there. So to be clear, puede ser can convey many different meanings. Um, it depends on the context, but most commonly puede ser means it may be or it might happen. Either way, it's definitely much less of a commitment behind it uh, than Cesar Chavez's si se puede. Yeah, si se puede is like, we can do this. We have the power to do this. Uh, Puede ser is more kind of like, yeah, man, maybe it will happen. Puede ser, it could be. So like an example would be, you know, when your favorite sports team just might win the national championship this year, Gonzaga, I could be like, yo, dude, Adrian, this is definitely the year that Gonzaga wins it all, right? And I'd be like, eh, puede ser. Which is not the answer I wanted out of you, man. A huevo. A huevo. <laughs> Esa papi. Si se puede, Zags. Okay. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> okay, so getting back to the script. Uh, after we introduced ourselves and we confirmed it's the correct patient, then we set the agenda. Right, and I like how you said this. Para que usted sabe, kind of so that you know, para que usted sabe, vamos a hablar de sus síntomas y hacer un examen físico. Y después and after... Hablaremos sobre las pruebas. We will talk about the tests y tratamientos and the treatments. Yeah, to which he replied, me parece bien, which is a good one to know. The verb parecer is to appear. So here you are saying, me parece bien, it appears good to me. Yeah, and I think at least for me, it was this is these are the kind of verbs that caused me trouble early on when I was learning Spanish because yeah. there's some verbs that translate very nicely from English to Spanish. Like if you were to say something simple like I want ice cream, you know, yo quiero helado, I want ice cream. But then you have these sentences like this, kind of like gustar, like me gusta helado. 
which is this, the structure is reversed. So you're really just saying, me gusta helado. It's pleasing to me is the ice cream. Yeah. Or pleasing to me is the ice cream. Yeah. Yeah. I am the object that's, that's being acted on by the ice cream. <laughs> yeah. All right. So somehow we're making ice cream sound like baby Yoda. Now I'm confused. <laughs> I'm hungry, but let's move on. Okay. Getting back to the HPI. Um, and I know I personally find it helpful or at least more efficient when someone is already in the hospital and you know, you're like the fifth person to ask them the same HPI questions. I like to start with what you did, which is just kind of a summary of what I already know about it. And I'll say something like, Hey, this is what I know so far. Jump in and correct me if there's anything wrong or if I leave something out and then I'll summarize the HPI and ask the kind of important questions to help distinguish the top sort of diseases on the differential diagnosis. So I kind of liked how you worded it. How did you word that when you kind of summarized what you knew about? So that's basically when I came in and I was like, entiendo que tienes fiebre, tienes tos, y también tienes dificultad respirando. Mm-hmm. And then you clarified with the, is it a dry or a wet cough, right? How did yeah. we say that? Yeah, so it was, el tos produce flema o está húmeda, which would be, does that cough produce phlegm or is it humid? And then the patient responded with, no, está seca. So that means, okay, so this is a dry cough. Mm-hmm. And that's easy to remember, con flema. Tos con flema, a cough with, with phlegm. Mm-hmm. Um, so productive or non-productive. Uh, and then we moved on to, the patient tells us he's had two days of a sore throat. Hace dos días, comenzó, it started, past tense, comenzó con un poco de tos y dolor de garganta. And then what was that next part that the patient said? So he said, pero ayer, so yesterday, me desperté en la mañana con fiebre. Yeah. So this is, he's telling us yesterday he woke up in the morning and he had a fever. Mm-hmm. So basically what we know now is this patient's got a dry cough. He's got, he's ha- got two days of a dry cough and a sore throat. And then yesterday morning he woke up and he had a fever. Exacto. And then um, I asked, tienes otros sintomas, which was, are you having any other symptoms? And he pretty much gave the answer, pues sí, meaning like, well, yeah, and kind of used a, uh, maybe some more slang that you wouldn't, this is more in the calle Spanish, but he says, pues sí, me siento como mierda. Which, which translates into, I feel like shit. Which is, that's, you know, kind of how you feel, right? And then he said, todo el cuerpo se duele. My whole body hurts. Tengo dolor de cabeza. I've got a headache. Y no puedo comer nada. And I can't eat anything. And then you showed, I think, some good empathy here, right? We're not just uh, recording his symptoms and then leaving. You know, we show yeah. some empathy. And so what did you say to kind of do that? I said, I lamento que sientas tan enfermo. Lamento, meaning I lament. Yeah. Okay. Or um, in Spanish, that would mostly just be like, I'm really sorry that you're feeling this way. Just an acknowledgement that, mm-hmm. that he's feeling como mierda. Yeah. And then I, I further kind of validated the patient's response to feeling so poorly by saying, Pero fue buena idea que hayas venido al hospital. Mm. Pero, but fue buena idea, like it was a good idea, que hayas venido al hospital. And I think any first or second year medical student listening to this, as well as any other professional is going to recognize like the importance of showing empathy to your patient, saying, man, I'm really sorry that you feel this way. And then also... Just saying, validating this patient and what they did, saying, you know what, it was a really good idea. You came here. I'm glad you're here. You know, hopefully we start to build this relationship of 
you're going to let us take care of you in this hospital. Exactly. I think that's, that's a really important part, especially in the ED. You know, sometimes we get so caught up in the day-to-day hustle bustle and trying to turn through patients and get through the waiting list that we forget. A lot of the time, this is probably the most um, vulnerable time of their, you know, sometimes of their life, um, but definitely of their, you know, the immediate future. And so, you know, taking the time to kind of acknowledge that they're in a very vulnerable position, they're probably scared. And, you know, we come in with our two minutes, three minutes and do a quick HPI. And so, yeah. And in addition to that, most healthcare professionals aren't speaking their language. So uh, it's just really important for us to be able to do this and, and kind of put them at ease. And if you can kind of master a phrase like that, I think that would really help kind of um, establish that patient and physician relationship or patient and healthcare provider uh, relationship. Definitely try to start bridging some of those, some of those gaps. So, okay. So then moving on, um, I asked, well, ¿y por qué no se puede comer? Yeah. And that's a good, cause you're, you're okay. He can eat, but why, why can't he eat? Yeah. Um, and then I asked, tienes nausea? And he said, si, si tengo nausea y di- diarrea. So nausea and diarrhea, but the biggest reason he said, y no tengo ganas de comer. So he doesn't have any desire to eat. And that's kind of a funny one. Ganas. It's a weird word. I, is that slang? I just, I've heard people use it like, no me da la gana. It doesn't give me the gains. Or Yeah. Yeah. So I actually, I think it is a, a, a um, slang. I, I don't know what the appropriate, you know, usage would be. Um, but I grew up always using ganas. So like if someone was like, Hey, Porque no haz algo afuera. No me da ganas. I don't want to. Right. So it's a, yeah. So that can also be like, um, patient just doesn't want to eat. He asked, no tengo ganas de comer porque no puedo oler ni saborear nada. Okay. And this is a good one. This is a COVID specific one, right? So kind of a weird symptom. No puedo oler. Yeah. So that's going to just, I mean, this is like our big um, kind of, Big symptom that you don't want to miss. He cannot smell. Ni saborer. And he cannot taste anything. And that's kind of the main reason why. He also has some nausea and diarrhea, but he's just, he's not getting the ganas from the food, um, from the smell and the taste. And so, yeah, um, I think you responded, que raro, no? <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, that's that's weird, <laughs> isn't it? Be- and I think it's it's important to just kind of chin to the patient, validate that it, it is strange and and. Even though it's strange to him, it's a good thing he came in and we moved on. And then I said, entonces, a ver si entendí. So then this is where I'm going to repeat back what he's told me so that he knows I'm listening and I'm picking up what he's saying. Hace dos días que ha tenido fiebre, tos seca y dolor de cabeza y también dolor en los músculos. Yeah, and I think that's a good one, right? Entonces is, I, we use entonces a lot. It kind of just means well, or it's sort of like a, a buffer, a filler word. Yeah, totally. Entonces, a ver si entendí. So, a ver, meaning to see. Yep. So, entonces, so, well, let's see si entendí, if I understood. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, hace yeah. dos días, two days, he tenido fiebre, tos seca y dolor de cabeza y en los músculos. Mm-hmm. And then he responded with, así es. Yeah, which means, yep, that's right. Uh, y ahora me falta el aire como si tengo que respirar doble. Yeah, and so this is a really good one where he says, it feels like I'm without air, like I have to breathe double. So that that's like the direct translation. So I think how I would interpret that would be like, he's having to work twice as hard for the same amount of air. Yeah, and then I like what you did as the astute medical student that you are. 
Um, you don't have to just do the HPI and then do the workup and then do the treatments. You know, he told you he was having some, some falta de aire and he was breathing twice as hard. So you just sort of put on the, the oxygen mask, um, and then the pulse oximetry as well. Right. Yeah, totally. And the way I did it in the way I do it, you know, um, with all my patients is I kind of like to make it as a suggestion, a question like, le podemos poner, can we put this on? And, um, Esta máscara para ayudarle con oxígeno. This mask to help you with oxygenation or with oxygen. And then I asked if we could put the máquina para chequear su nivel de oxígeno. Which is, can I can we add this machine to check the levels of oxygen? And um, that's kind of the way I translated, like, can we put this pulse oximeter on you? I like that. And I like how you worded it. It's not, can I? It's not, puedo Hacer eso, it's le podemos poner. Can we put this on? And then yeah. you explain why. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you darle con el oxígeno? Yep. Um, and then, okay, last one. Chequear. Is that a real word or is that just a Spanglish word for check? Chequear. Dude, I think that's a Spanglish word. I grew up saying that. Um, <laughs> I've definitely used it before in like other countries and they're like, what are you saying? And so I think it really is Spanglish, but most people I would say understand what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess you could probably say like le podemos poner esta máquina para examen los uh, los niveles de oxígeno en el sangre, but that just seems like way too long. Chequear. Yeah, I like, I like chequear. Um, okay, and then he put it on. Gracias, me siento mejor. Feel better already. Mm-hmm. And then I said muy bien, which is okay, great. Entonces unas preguntas más. And so then we're. I was just asking, can I ask you a couple more questions? Mm-hmm. And then I asked, tienes otros problemas médicas. So do you have any other medical problems? And he said, bueno, aparte de tener 86 años. Yeah, so aside from being 86. Yo me mantengo. I take pretty good care of myself. Yeah, I maintain. Yeah, I like yeah. that. Okay, and then I then we just kind of went into some friendly banter. I said, pues muchos años de experiencia. Yeah, sort of flipping it. Like, well, that's a lot of, a lot of years of, of experience in life. And then <laughs> he kind of made a reference. Psh, pues más bien 100 años de solidad. Which is a reference to the uh, the great Gabriel Garcia Marquez and his book uh, Cien Años de Soledad. <laughs> Shout out to my high school Spanish teacher. Um, <laughs> and then he said, "Pero si tengo diabetes, hipertensión y cataratas." So this is telling us he's got diabetes, he's got hypertension. So he's already got a known history of diabetes and hypertension. So he's at a higher risk for certain things that should be going off in your head. He's also got cataracts. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of just also a fun word to say, cataratas. <laughs> um, and then you responded, okay, y algunas más. Yes. I, I like how you did this. Go ahead. Because you sort of, sometimes we don't always get the whole history and what they think is a chronic medical problem might be different than what we think. And so you just ask about kind of the three or four main big organs, right? Yeah. So this was kind of like a real quick, almost review of systems. Exactly. And so I just said, okay, y algunas más. So is there anything else? And then I started with problemas con el corazón. With the heart. Yeah. Problems with the heart. I said, los pulmones. The lungs. The lungs. Los riñones. The kidneys. O el hígado. Kind of the four, the main big four that we sort of ask about and you want to know. Um, we already heard about the the common um, elderly comorbidities of hypertension and diabetes. Uh, but this is a good, yeah, basic review of systems. Just check and make sure that he's not like, oh, yeah, I had uh, bypass surgery four years ago or something. Yeah. And I mean, I think for our purposes, this is going to be really good to get because when you're thinking about getting a complete review of systems, I mean, there's a lot more that's going to go into that, but this is nice to just get a short, concise, quick review 
and make sure you're not missing anything huge when you're first finding this patient. The the quick and dirty review of systems. Yeah, totally. And then I like the, the answer, right? It's uh, ojalá que no. <laughs> Hopefully not. I hope not. And ojalá, I think that's kind of a, I'm not sure where that word comes from, but it just means, it means I hope or hopefully, yeah. yep. hopefully not. Um, al menos nadie me lo dijo. So, and it, so kind of all put together, it's really nice because it says hopefully not. At least nobody has told me. <laughs> yeah, no other comorbidities that people have told me about. Yeah, and uh, then I asked, "You uh, usted fuma? So do you smoke? And he said, sí, pero solo como un cigarro por día. One yeah. cigarette a day. One cigarette a day. And I said, ¿y tomas alcohol? And lo mismo, the same, una cerveza por día. And then he kind of makes a football joke, tal vez, más cuando gana las chivas. Yeah, kind of like a celebratory, you know, like, hey, we're hanging out, watching the football game. Like, I might have a couple more. When the Chivas are winning, he's, yeah. <laughs> you know, when, you're, when your sports team is winning, when the Zags win the national championship, uh, we might have more than once in a race as well. Yeah, yeah, you're going to celebrate a little bit. And, and then I like how you use that as a tie-in to kind of get a little bit of the social history, right? He told you totally. something about himself, and and you can use that to say, oh, so are are you from Guadalajara? That's the, the Las Chivas is the, the the football team in Guadalajara, and so you kind of use that to um, to tie into the social history. Yep. And again, this is just kind of like friendly banter, trying to establish rapport with this patient. Um, I don't expect everyone across <laughs> our platform who's listening to this to know that the Chivas came from Guadalajara. And so, um, yeah. And then I asked, well, uh, where are you from? And I asked it in the form of, ¿Usted es de Guadalajara? So like, are you from Guadalajara? Mm-hmm. And another way you could say that if you didn't have a tie-in would just be like, where are you, where are you from? ¿De dónde es usted? Yep. Yep. Uh, and then to which he, he replied, yes, uh, but aquí, has, aquí he vivido hace 30 años. Yeah. So he's lived here hace 30 años for 30 mm-hmm. years. And then there was a little line in here that, and this is another thing that always confused me, these little things. So he said, si yo nací, yes, I was born por allá. Yeah. Yeah. So I was born there. Over there. Over there. And then por acá would be more like over here. Yeah. So like when your mom's mad at you and she's like, ven paca, like yeah. come over here. Come here. Yep. And then allá is more over there. Yep. Okay. And then I ask, ¿y con, vive, con quién vives ahorita? So who do you live with now, ahorita? Yeah. Um, and he replied, uh, aquí vivo con mi hijo y su familia. My son and his family. Desde que moría mi esposa hace cinco años atrás. So... He's lived here with his son and his family desde since que moría since que moría mi esposa since his spouse died hace cinco años. Yeah, five years. So he's years. lived with his son since his his wife passed away five years ago. Mm-hmm. And then again, kind of tying in with some empathy, I said, "Lo siento escuchar eso." So I'm sorry to hear that. Mm-hmm. And then he said, "Gracias que en paz descanse." So yeah, just a quick thank you. You know, may she rest in peace. Rest in peace. That's a good phrase to know. I think you know yeah. whether you're at a funeral or something else. You know, when you when someone brings up something about a loved one who's passed, you can say que en paz descanse. In peace they rest. Yeah. And so then, since I got that little snippet, so he's living with his son and his son's family, and he's lived there for five years. I asked, entonces, nadie más en su casa está enfermo. 
Yeah. And so this is a nice way of transitioning that into the sick contact mm-hmm. part of the HPI. Um, and it was a good thing you asked because he said, fortunately, no, he has no one else in the family that he knows of is sick, but he kind of makes the, uh, the disclaimer. Creo que no, I don't think so. Pero hay tantos muchachos y chamacos visitando. There's a lot of kids and grandkids visiting para la Navidad, que quien sabe, for the Christmas season, like as you know. Mm-hmm. And kind of the way like I translate like from kind of my family, my history, when someone says, quien sabe, it's like, so who knows? Who knows, right. Yep. Quien sabe. Um, and then, yeah. And then I said, si, esto es la temporada. Yes, this is the season. Um, and then I asked, before moving into the ex- examination, I said, okay, le puedo examinar. So can I do a physical exam? Mm-hmm. And then kind of just two little cues when you were doing the physical exam. I know it's kind of silly that we act that out, but yeah. the, can you take a deep breath? And then letting them know, because I do this even in English, is you oh, have yeah. someone take a couple deep breaths. You're just putting the stethoscope in different parts of their back. They think they either have to keep breathing or not. And so they end up taking like 20 deep breaths while you're trying to listen to the heart. And yeah. now they're really short of breath. Yep. Yeah. So again, um, puede respirar profundo. That's the the most correct way to ask i always say hondo still so um if it were me i'm gonna say puedo respirar hondo depending on which part of latin america they're from they're gonna be like what does that mean <laughs> and i'm like oh puedo respirar profundo por favor um and then yeah uh then i said okay puedes relajar y respirar normalmente can you relax and breathe normally yeah and then i said voy a escuchar su corazón i'm gonna mm. listen to your heart muy bien um, and then, so you did that, you did the HPI, you did the exam, and then you did what I really like. And I always try to do this, even as a student, you kind of have to be careful about letting them know what the plan is before you have talked that over with your attending. Yeah, totally. But I think for me, sometimes you can even preface it by saying something like, yeah, I'm just a student. I have to go run it by my, the attending doctor that I'm working under, but let me tell you what I'm thinking. Let me yeah. tell you my thoughts from what I've heard and what I've seen in my exam. Um, and so I think you said that in a really good way. Or what I said here is, entonces, hablamos de las posibles causas de su condición. Let's talk about the possible causes of your condition. Mm-hmm. Las pruebas para investigarlos. The tests that we're going to do to look into that. Y los tratamientos. Mm-hmm. So, as well as the treatments. Yep. So, and I really like, so so that's a good kind of two good words is the, the tests, las pruebas. And the treatments, los tratamientos. Yeah. And then I really love what you said here because you're like, okay, I'm going to talk about the possible causes. We're going to do some tests to investigate those causes and then talk about the treatments. Pero primero, first, me interesa saber. I would like to know something. Yeah. So I would like to know, ¿qué cree usted que está pasando? What do you think is going on? Y hay algo que le preocupe especialmente. Yeah. And I like I I try to do this as much as I can because it's so funny how sometimes we just think like, oh, we're the only ones who have this knowledge and we're going to put it together. And, you know, half the time they already know what they're in for. And it's really helpful um, as a especially as like a learner, a student doctor and a medical student to just see what what do you think is going on? Like sometimes that can be the most insightful question. And then what are you worried about? Sometimes they're, what they're worried about is not what you would assume they would be worried about. Um, and here it's kind of a good thing that you asked because he's like, pues claro que me preocupa. Yeah, well, actually I am really worried. Que tener esa enfermedad de COVID. That I might be sick with COVID. Obviously, no one's been living under a rock. We all know what's going on. Yeah. Y he said, tengo miedo. 
And I'm afraid de contagiar mi familia. That I might contaminate or, you know, get my family sick. Mm-hmm. Which is one of those things, you know, you think of a gentleman in his 80s and, you know, he's already at high risk for um, high mortality with COVID. And so you think, like, obviously this dude's going to be scared of dying. But no, he's more worried about his family. He mm-hmm. doesn't want to get anyone in his family sick. Yep. And as we move forward and kind of talk about the plan and the disposition, knowing what they fear and what they want out of coming in is really important so that we can sort of use that patient-centered uh, decision-making and include him in that. And then again, a little bit of empathy. Yo te escucho. Is that is that kind of a, just I hear you? Yeah, yeah. That's definitely how I kind of translate it. It's like, yeah, I hear you or I hear that. And then you also said, y también estoy preocupado. And I'm also worried. Porque estos síntomas se parecen mucho al COVID. Because these symptoms that you're presenting with also present similarly in COVID. And there's that parecer word again. In, instead of me parece bien, it appears to me good. You're saying se parecen, these symptoms appear mucho al COVID. Yep, yep. Uh, and then so I moved on into kind of our treatment plan or not treatment, but um, our, our examine, our testing plan. So I said, entonces le vamos a hacer la prueba de COVID. The test for COVID. Yep. Y también unas más pruebas del sangre. And also some other blood tests, pruebas del sangre. Para chequear que todo esté bien. To check that everything looks good. También vamos a tomar una radiografa del pecho. Radiografa. Yeah, so um, that's going to be an x-ray of the chest. Para chequear a los pulmones. That's a slang check so that we can check <laughs> your lungs. Mm-hmm. Y I've also heard um, radioaques, like x-ray. Yeah, yeah, un radio X, but I, that S- one sounds too much like dosakes. <laughs> yeah, and like I like radiografia, uh, radiografia because it's radiograph, mm-hmm. which is really what it is in English, but yeah. we've all shortened it up to X-ray. Yep. Um, and then whenever it comes to initials, like for moving on to the ECG, mm-hmm. I always just say them in English because it's the same in Spanish, and it's electrocardiograma, which is electrocardiogram. These words start getting too long for me when it's more than like 10, 10 letters in a word. You know, even even radiographia is pushing it for me. But electrocardiogramma is I'm just going to fumble with that every time. Yeah. And then what you can do is you can just say ECG para ver cómo está el corazón. So ECG so that we can see how the heart is. Yep. Got it. And so and then you finish by asking him how that appeared to him. Yep. Se parece bien. And he said, si, lo hagamos. Yep. Let's do it. Yep. Um, And so with that, we will take another quick commercial advertisement break. um, And when we get back, we will do more of a dive into the management of COVID and kind of finish up this case with this patient. Life is a series of challenges, paths to walk, rivers to cross, mountains to climb. It takes strength, perseverance, and endurance to keep going. Spokane Endurance Academy is a new face in the Inland Northwest training scene, ready and excited to help you make a difference in your life. Offering everything from specialized workout plans to field testing, defined intensity training, and progress analysis. At Spokane Endurance Academy, your goals are their goals. Check them out on Facebook at Spokane Endurance Academy, LLC, on their website, SpokaneEnduranceAcademy.com, or call now at 208-889-9278. Okay, welcome back. So now we will turn our focus to more of the medicine-based clinical reasoning and management of COVID-19. So if you just came for the Spanish, now's your chance to get out of class early. Um, Adrian, you did such a wonderful job taking a focused, hypothesis-driven history and physical 
why don't we pretend that I'm your ED attending and you hit me with your oral case presentation. But remember, seriously, I'm super busy. I don't have time for this. Don't give me the medicine thing. Just tell me the pertinence. <laughs> All right. So Mr. R is a pleasant 86-year-old Spanish-speaking gentleman who's actually pretty healthy for his age. His only past medical history is well-controlled hypertension and type 2 diabetes, as well as cataracts. He's presenting today with two days of fever, dry cough, and flu-like symptoms. He also reports a loss of smell and taste, and he denies any known sick contacts, but he does live uh, with his son and his son's family, and they've been having kids back and forth for the holidays. He's not endorsing any chest pain at this time, but he does feel like he's having shortness of breath, and he describes having to work harder to catch his breath. Okay. Specifically, he says he's having to work twice as hard. Okay. Okay. I got it. So uh, we're thinking COVID. I got gotcha. you. Um, how about we do the some assessment and plan here? Well, I didn't get any vitals um, or exam findings, so I'm still kind of waiting on that. Okay. Why don't Why don't we go through it? Why don't you tell me what you expect to see out of his vitals, and then I will either confirm or deny. Yes. So what, what do you expect? I mean, we know he's febrile, right? Yeah, he's showing up febrile. He's saying he's febrile at home. So baseline fever at least 100.4. That was my next question is what's the definition of a fever 100.4 or 38 degrees Celsius if you're the rest of the country or the rest of the world? Oof. I know. Yeah, I don't 38 know is that. easier than 100.4 though. I mean, That's a maybe dependent. in like Spain or <laughs> Mexico, but not here. So he's febrile. He yeah. counts. It counts as febrile. Um, what, what do you think his heart rate is going to be? Um, yeah, you know, I'm thinking he's probably 70. He doesn't look like he's distressed. He he's, you know, looking pretty okay. Considering the fact that he's describing a shortness of breath. Uh, I'll take that. I think 70, 70 at best. Um, he is a pretty elderly gentleman with not a lot of sort of physiologic reserve who is dealing with an acute illness. Right. Um, and he's probably, he's probably dehydrated from not eating and drinking and the mm. nausea vomiting. Yeah, so that's true. why don't we call it 90? Okay. Yeah, that makes sense, especially if he's had diarrhea and um, nausea. It's likely, yeah, a 90 would probably make sense. I just remember from the trauma, they always say the heart rate is the first thing to change and the kind of hypotension is is definitely later. So Yeah, so we're thinking his blood pressure is probably going to be close to normal, right? We're assuming that since he does have this history of hypertension, it's being medically managed. So we're thinking maybe 120s, 130s over 80. I think that's probably pretty accurate. And uh, for a lot of patients, you know, especially elderly, we try not to manage their blood pressure too tight. And so we don't want him at 120 over 80. I bet he lives at 145 over 70 or something, maybe a little wider pulse pressure than a young, healthy person because he's got some stiff arteries. But, you know, for him, if he's 120 over 70 or even 115 over 60s, I think that's one of those, uh, it falls in the category of abnormally normal sort of, you know, it's, he's in the normal range, but for an older gentleman with an acute illness, that's probably a little low for his blood pressure, but I agree. Okay, great. Cool. Um, okay. So heart rate, respiratory, what do you think, what do you think his respiratory rate is? You know, since he's kind of describing this difficulty breathing, he's having this like shortness of breath. I definitely think that we're looking more at like the 18s to 20-ish, you know. Yep. Um, that's kind of what I would anticipate. I agree with that. I would say probably upper upper limit of normal, maybe low 20s. Okay. Um, and so here's the million dollar question. And you very astutely initiated your treatment with the uh, putting an O2 mask on him. What do you think his O2 sat is giving his clinical picture and like on how many liters do you think he's he's satting at that? Well, so we've got an elderly guy, you know, shortness of breath, 
He's got upper respiratory and flu-like symptoms. His vital signs are stable aside from being febrile um, at 38 Celsius barf. <laughs> um, so I'm thinking, you know, we've got like a O2 requirement of probably two is what we'd start him at. Nasal cannula. Um, he's going to be hemodynamically stable. Um, since he has had nausea and diarrhea for the last few days, um, he's, he may be a little dehydrated, maybe looking shocky. Mm-hmm. I think two liters is that's sort of the, the, the minimum level of oxygen that people need. And so like, I think it's kind of, this is an important thing to note is like sometimes many times actually in the hospital, people will get put on oxygen when they don't need it. Right. So like if you walk into a room and someone is on two liters and they're saturating at a hundred percent, they do not need those two liters. And so, you know, he was symptomatic and he told you he felt short of breath and he was breathing doble, but um, this is kind of the important thing. How, what is his O2 percentage on how many liters? And so say that he has on, he's on two liters and he's satting at what, what, I guess, what would be your target saturations for him for when you're putting in that order to titrate? You know, so we've got a history of being an occasional smoker. Mm -hmm. He's got upper URI symptoms. I'd probably be okay with like 90, 92. Exactly. You know, they say 88 to 92 for COPD, but he doesn't have a diagnosis of that. He just has a little smoking history. Yeah. I think above 90 is like a good range for for titrating his oxygen. Okay, great. Um, Okay. So you didn't do an exam, but if you were just thinking through what you expect to see on his exam, um, why don't you go ahead and kind of, uh, we can imagine that you're describing his physical exam. Yeah, so Mr. Rodriguez is a non-toxic appearing elderly gentleman who is alert and conversational. Mm-hmm. He looks slightly hypovolemic with dry mucous membranes, poor skin turgor. Uh, cardiovascular shows regular rate and rhythm without murmurs, gallops, or rubs. Cap refill is two to three seconds, likely. There's no JVD or lower extremity edema. Um his pulmonary exam is going to show uh, slightly increased work of breathing, maybe some accessory muscle use. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to likely, from what we, we've read and what I've kind of seen in person, we're going to have kind of coarse breath sounds diffusely and maybe some scattered wheezing and crackles, but probably clear at the bases. Um, the rest of the physical exam is going to be unremarkable so abdomen's gonna be soft non-tender with active bowel sounds there's gonna be no obvious skin lesions and neurologically he'll be grossly intact i think that's pretty good and and pretty pertinent too and i know as a student when you're presenting it's really good to just sort of have those normal exams and be able to go through them uh just off the top of your head and then you can think back to the patient and remember that so i like how you started it right Sick, not sick. That's really what I want to know. I haven't seen the patient yet. He's non-toxic appearing and he's alert and conversational. Already, I have like a pretty good idea of this elderly gentleman with shortness of breath who's fine, but he's maybe a little bit short of breath, maybe a little bit increased um, work of breathing, but he's not grossly fluid overloaded. If anything, he's a little bit dehydrated and hypovolemic and you sort of back that up with some evidence of, you know, maybe dry mucous membranes or skin turgor. I don't know how many times we actually pinch the patient's skin, but it sounds good <laughs> in the note and in the yeah, exam. Yeah, it totally does. Um, right. Okay. So good. Uh, I have some labs written down here that I have not shown you yet, but first I want you uh, maybe just give us your assessment and plan and tell me what you want to do and be careful because I already heard you tell the patient what you wanted to do. So hopefully we agree on that. Yeah, totally. All right. So this is an elderly gentleman with a uh, Subacute shortness of breath in the context of URI, uh, flu-like symptoms. 
is febrile but hemodynamically stable with two liters of oxygen as his requirement. Okay, that's a good assessment. I, I agree with that. Yeah, so obviously the symptoms that we're seeing here, they're going to be concerning for COVID. So mm-hmm. um, we're going to order a rapid nasal pharyngeal swab. Uh, depending on where you're at, that's going to be as quickly as two to four hours or 20 minutes. It just kind of, it's super variable on what tests people are using. Mm-hmm. Um, Usually so, the nurses already have done it by the time we get in there too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, other things on the differential though, we're going to worry about bacterial pneumonia, CHF, COPD exacerbation. Those are like the three super commons that we'll see outside of the COVID times, right? Absolutely. So I, I like it. So there's your assessment. There's a differential kind of explain the cl- the clinical reasoning. So, yeah, I'm not thinking it's likely going to be a bacterial pneumonia because the cough is non-productive um, and there's no like focal lobar findings on chest x-ray. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like he, he's not describing any kind of wetness to his cough. He says it's dry. Um, CHF, he is older with a long-standing history of hypertension and diabetes, but based off of the exam that I kind of assumed that I gave you, we're not seeing a gentleman who's fluid, fluid overloaded. There's no JVD. There's no lower extremity edema. There's no crackles at the lung bases. Specifically, the lung bases that I reported were clear. <laughs> um, so I kind of got lucky on that end. Um, so COPD, he does have a smoking history where he has one cigarette per day. Uh, and there was some scattered wheezing on exam. So there might be a little bit of COPD flare. But I think that that's really secondary to likely COVID infection. Definitely. I, I actually really like how you went through that, right? And this is this is kind of the part, this is the art of the oral case presentation is like, you're telling a story. Some, some attendings will describe it as like, you know, you're a lawyer in court and you're presenting your case or your thesis. And so your exam, as you're giving me the pertinent positives and negatives from the history and the physical, you're basically telling me why you're, you're, you're leading me up to why you reached the conclusion that this is COVID, right? You described yeah, totally. a non-fluid overloaded exam. You know, he's not orthopnic or, or having like crackles or anything at the bases, mm-hmm. um, no JVD, you know, you're telling me that he doesn't have a productive cough in his history. Yeah. Um, you're telling me that his, you know, his lungs have some scattered wheezing, but not clear low bar dullness yeah. to percussion, inspiratory crackles anywhere. Yeah. And then, you know, the COPD, there's always maybe a component of that. And yeah, the viral, the viral infection can trigger a COPD exacerbation as well. Um, so I like how you went through that. What do you want to do for the workup? Let's say the COVID swab is still pending, but it's already been done. Any other labs or imaging you want to get? All right, so I'm guessing this is that longer one, probably going to be a two-hour. So uh, <laughs> you're going to do a CBC, CMP. You're going to get a ECG and a chest X-ray, which we already talked to the gentleman about those. Mm-hmm. Um, but the labs um, definitely want to get a CBC and CMP. Okay, great. We'll go through those. Um, yeah, well, for the sake of this, we'll say the EKG was normal. We're not going to go through that. Great. Um, let's sort of talk through, again, like what we're expecting to see on the labs here, right? So if this is COVID, let's say the swab comes back positive, what do we expect to see on a CBC or what are we looking out for? This is the eternal question of what are you going to do with that test? Even though, you know, when any, anyone else orders the test, they just willy nilly, it doesn't matter. But whenever a med student asks for a test, it's always the, what are you going to do with that? How is that going to change your management? <laughs> yeah, so, absolutely. So with this, what his CBC is going to show um, we're guessing is maybe like a mild leukocytosis. Uh, I'm thinking probably a white blood cell count of like 12, but I'm not 
super sure, you know, it is respiratory. So I don't know. Yep. Uh, um, and viral. I agree. Likely so viral. that's, and that's how I always answer that. The CBC, we get CBCs on everyone. Do we need them on every patient every morning in the hospital? Definitely not. But if they ask you why we're looking at, you know, looking for anemia, thrombocytopenia, and then the white blood cell count. Totally. Um, and so, yeah, so this is a kind of a more of a caveat point here, right? So normally in an upper respiratory infection, we would expect to see, like you said, a leukocytosis with maybe some, um, like neutrophil predominance, but in, in COVID and other viral respiratory infections, one of the hallmarks of it is actually lymphopenia. So like lower white blood cell count, um, and especially your lymphs as well. Oh, wow. Okay. So, um, you know, he could have that. So say, so say that it does come back that he does have a leukocytosis and there is a neutrophil predominance. What does that maybe change your, your management or your thought process? So then that's definitely going to lead us more towards like a bacterial etiology. Exactly. Um, especially having like a neutrophilia associated with that leukocytosis. I once had a, uh, a trauma surgeon on rounds in front of like, you know, ICU interdisciplinary rounds. I said something about the leukocytosis and he goes, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase, but essentially his quote was the white blood cell count is the last refuge of the intellectually destitute. And that's what he said. And he didn't say anything else. He didn't look at me. He just made that comment. And so it's important <laughs> to, I'll never forget that you don't hang your hat on the white blood cell count. Okay. If everything else in this guy's, um, you know, history and exam is not concerning for bacterial infection. We're, you know, we're not going to hinge that on the white blood cell count, but it's another data point that we can uh, use. Okay, cool. Yeah. Nice. What about the chem 10? What are we looking for in a chem 10? Hmm. Or the CMP. Really? We're just kind of wanting to monitor, monitor his lights, especially if he's got nausea, diarrhea. We definitely want to make sure that everything's okay there. Uh, we're going to want to see if he's got an AKI or not. Exactly. Um, acute kidney injury for those who maybe don't remember the acronym. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's probably the most common thing. You know, again, we get a CBC and a CMP on anyone who walks in with a stub toe. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess their, their data points, they kind of tell us electrolytes are important, especially if, uh, you know, we're worried about some cardiac things like arrhythmias. You want to make sure that especially the chem 10 versus the chem seven, you're getting the mag and the FOSS. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, we're looking for an AKI. And I think that's probably the most common thing that we do see is this, you know, AKI on CKD where you're dehydrated and then you get a little bit of a pre-renal AKI there. Yep. Um, Okay, so we've got the CBC, the CMP, the EKG is done. We'll call it normal. What about the chest X-ray? So we'll say there's not a low bar finding. What would you expect to see in the chest X-ray for um, like a COVID pneumonia? Yeah, so actually I was uh, I follow one of these um, kind of palm care docs on Instagram, and he was really harping on one of the more common things people see are like these like peripheral ground glass opacities, mm-hmm. and so I'm guessing that's likely what we'll expect to see in this patient. That's, that's exactly it. It's peripheral, bilateral, kind of the big one, right? That tells you it's not a low bar thing. Oh, yeah. Peripheral, totally. bilateral, hazy sort of opacities. Um, nice. Okay, so we got through the workup. Just aside, you know, other things that we get sometimes in the ED when we're trying to roll the dice uh, and give us something, some, some data point to push us one way or another, say that we were looking to distinguish uh, like a bacterial pneumonia superimposed on this COVID? Is there like a, a lab test that we could do that maybe is a marker of uh, bacterial infection and not viral? It's kind of a weird one. So the the it's kind of like the D-dimer of, of like bacterial infections. Um, it's the procalcitonin. 
Oh, the okay. pro cow. We like to throw the pro cow out. I think it's probably one of the most overused and like not evidence-based things that we do. But <laughs> a lot of the time, and especially in COVID, you're like, I don't know, is there like maybe a bacterial pneumonia? Like we don't want to miss that. Oh yeah. Since yeah, we're not going to yeah. treat it. Totally. And you're probably going to give this person steroids though. So. Exactly. And so kind of that's the, the evidence base for using the ProCal is literally to just to de-escalate antibiotics. So okay. to either discontinue them um, or it, it's not like, oh, the ProCal was elevated that we're going to initiate them. That's not the evidence that it's been used. It's really just a, it, it helps you have another data point to be like, I'm pretty sure this is not a bacterial infection the ProCal is normal, I'd like to either narrow or discontinue. Okay, great. Yeah, that's super helpful, especially with, you know, me going on to IM next. I am going to keep that little pearl. You'll see it thrown around a lot. And, uh, you know, they always pimp the med students when we try to order it, but you will <laughs> see it be used. The COPD exacerbation is probably like the main thing you'll see it used in. Okay, um, cool. Sometimes we just give these guys a Z pack and uh, maybe it helps with some inflammation too. But what about one lab we could order for a heart failure? Maybe if we were trying to make sure that it's not that hmm. it rhymes with BMP. <laughs> so the, the brain natriuretic <laughs> peptide, the BNP, like, so that's kind of like the, okay, is the heart stretched? Is it releasing those enzymes? The, again, sort of just a little extra data points. I don't think that's going to, we don't need that here and it's not going to change our management, but. Man, I wonder what they would say if I tried to order that just willy nilly. Yeah. If you're not the ED doc, then uh, they're going <laughs> to hassle you for it for sure. Every CBC reorder, we get hassled for it. So cool. Um, okay. So let's, uh, let's stay focused here. So we've got this guy. How are we going to treat him, right? We did the workup. We're pretty sure this is COVID pneumonia. We don't think there's a bacterial component to it. Um, we've given him some supplemental oxygen. We're titrating it to above 90% O2 sat. Um, anything else, maybe for his dehydration, would you want to maybe just give him something now? Yeah, so this is kind of one of those things that you, you really have to rule out, you know, like CHF mm -hmm. before we kind of go into these crazy fluid boluses. Absolutely. Um, you know, I'd like to keep this patient on the two liters as long as we can. If we had a little bit softer blood pressure, um, I'd be more, me more aggressive with like fluid resuscitation. Mm -hmm. Since we've got a patient who's just here, who's mildly shocky, dry mucous membranes, and he's got, you know, um, some reduced skin turgor. I would lean towards maybe just doing a one liter bolus. Absolutely. Okay. I think that's a good starting point, right? Um, there's this whole idea of fluid responsiveness and assessing fluid responsiveness. And it's kind of the bane of like the ICU. There's a thousand different ways to measure it, but none of them are ever that great. Okay. And so, you know, whenever in doubt, you just say, we'll give him some gentle fluids and assess it for fluid responsiveness. You know, so if his pressures get a little bit better, okay, maybe he can take a little more. If his pressures get worse or he needs like more oxygen requirement, maybe some of that fluid's backing up in his lungs and then we're not going to want to do that. Um, so I agree. We'll give him, keep him on the oxygen, give him a liter, see how he does. Um, any other treatments we want to, we want to initiate now? You know, I think we're doing pretty good. We've got him on a just real quick fluid bolus to see how he responds. Uh, the only one I'm really concerned about is this two liters of oxygen. I'm not mm. going to, I'm not really sure what we're supposed to do with that, uh, especially because it's likely that this patient's going to be discharged. I mean, should he be discharged is a totally separate question. I don't know that he should be, especially if he has these oxygen kind of requirements. Mm -hmm. But, you know, with the way things are in hospitals nowadays and all these beds are full, it's like the likelihood that this patient's going to be 
sent home needing to self-quarantine is pretty high. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how we can kind of like figure that part out. Like, how are we going to say, okay, this guy was needing oxygen when he came in, but he doesn't need to. And now he gets to go home. How do we work towards that? Uh, that's a, that's another million dollar question. I mean, I think that you're getting like a true emergency physician. You are worried about the discharge, right? So like, yeah. what are we going to, how, how are we going to, are we going to admit him? Are we going to discharge him? If we do discharge him, are we making sure that we're putting him in, the, in a place to succeed? Um, yeah. And I hear what you're saying, right? Especially with COVID, this guy has what would be considered mild COVID disease, right? Like totally. barely any oxygen content or oxygen requirement. Um, we really don't have anything that's keeping him in the hospital. Now, oxygen requirement is a uh, like a reason for admission okay. for the billing wise, but for him, it would get kind of iffy because we would really have to do basically like uh, an ambulatory pulse ox on him, like okay. take the take the oxygen off him, have him sit there for a little bit on room air at rest, make sure his O2 sats don't drop, maybe have him stand up, uh, do a couple high knees, maybe walk around the room, make sure that his O2 sats aren't dropping. If they aren't, when he does that we're going to be in a, in a stuck between a, like a rock and a hard place with him. Because as you mentioned, there's, there's not anything we're going to do in the hospital for him, but this guy's not going to be able to quarantine at home, right? He's not going to be right. able to go self-isolate with his you yeah. know extended family. That's, that's at his house right now. Yeah. And it sounds like not, not only, I mean, does he live with people, but he's also got kids coming and going. Right. Mm-hmm. So this is definitely one of those like public health concerns. So I don't know, like what can we do? to set him up the best for success, do you think? I agree. I mean, I think this is one of the reasons why people burn out, right? Like, it's like we have these sort of bureaucratic reasons um, for why you can or cannot manage the patient the way you can. But you're right. He has, it's a public health thing. He's going to go home. We, he's symptomatic with COVID. He's going to pass that to other people in the house. They're all going to go home. Oh. They're going to go back to school, right? This is how, yeah. this is why we, we're having such a hard time flattening the curve. Yeah, okay. Um, I know early on in the pandemic, some, like I know New York was pretty early to do it. They had like COVID hotels where oh, if you wow. didn't have a place to quarantine, you could go stay in this room. In Asia, they have like healthcare facilities that are meant for quarantining until you're no longer um, like transmissible. Oh man, that's incredible. Not a, not a whole lot of safety nets for that here. Yeah, true. Um, so I think the best that we could probably do with him if we, you know, if he doesn't have an oxygen requirement is send him home with like a lot of education kind of things to watch out for red flags. And with a, you, we can usually send people home with like a pulse oximetry monitor. Okay. And so you can be like, monitor this. If it's below, if it drops below 90 consistently come back. Um, that's kind of a reason. I know it feels like we're barely doing anything and it's, we are, we are kind of stuck in this situation. Yeah. And I think that that's definitely kind of a, a good point to kind of bring to light that if, if this is the case and we've got to focus on patient education this is no longer like the point in time for ad hoc interpreting. Let's get a licensed professional interpreter. Um, if we got to do the machine, if we've got to do the little dial in phone thing, let's make sure we get that because it's super duper important to make sure that this patient, you know, um, we, we made up the name Mr. Rodriguez. So we just want to make sure that Mr. Rodriguez knows what he has to do to go home. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. And I think, I mean, this is why we're, we're seeing kind of the exacerbation of these social determinants of health and the outcomes with COVID is, you know, he's not like your average upper middle class sort of working person who can go and work from home and social, like socially distance at home in order yeah. to Grubhub and everything else. You know, he has these other barriers that are preventing him um, from sort of accessing that, um, those resources. And so 
being mindful of that, trying to do what we can. We're kind of tied with our hands behind our back here. Um, okay. But so I think that's, we'll, we'll conclude this case with uh, part one. We discharge him home with some oxygen, uh, with a pulse, pulse oximetry, um, and hopefully good education and resources. Um, and hopefully he has some follow-up to be continued. All um, right. Sounds great. In the course of illness. So uh, that's going to be it today for episode three, shortness of breath, COVID edition, part one. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> um, so yeah, thanks for listening. This one got kind of long. We tried a different format. Uh, maybe it was a little rough going uh, here and there, but let us know if you like the, the doing the Spanish dialogue first and then breaking it down and then maybe some medical pearls at the end. That's how we tried to set up this one. If you prefer us just bantering back and forth and taking tangential routes, uh, that we can do that too. We're more than happy to oblige. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. And, uh, also we really wanted to say, you know, we appreciate all of the support we've had thus far. So today while we're recording, it's actually January th- or December 31st, 2020. It's new year's Eve. Um, you know, huge thank you to, um, speak studios, speak Spokane for letting us be here. Um, what's really cool is we've already got over a hundred supporters on Instagram and we haven't even dropped an episode yet. (laughs) So, uh, please be patient. Keep waiting. We appreciate you guys. Um, I hope that this has been beneficial for you. If you have any suggestions, recommendations, scenario requests, um, don't hesitate to contact us uh, via email. We're medstudentspanish at gmail.com or on Twitter and Instagram at Los Vatos Medicos. Hasta la próxima. Nos vemos. Ciao. This episode is sponsored by Burn Butter. Burn Butter is an all-natural, low-carb, keto-friendly product created to help you consume healthy fats when you need them the most. You can add it to your coffee. You can add it to your foods. You can add it to your snacks and smoothies. You can even consume it straight out of the pouch. It's a new way to add healthy fats in your diet without making any big adjustments. You can find them on social media at Burn Butters and at burnbutter.com. This episode is sponsored by Autoclore System. For over 80 years, Autoclore System has led the industry with its patented low-temp dishwasher. Using only one gallon of water and reusing all chemical containers, Autoclore System gets the job done right. With a full cleaning product line and an arsenal of EPA-registered disinfectants, Autoclore System is here to help you combat COVID-19. Autoclore System offers affordable, cost-saving, and environmentally friendly solutions for all of your restaurant and hospitality needs. Autoclore System dishwashers include chemicals, service, parts, and free 24-7 emergency service. For more, visit autoclore.com, their Facebook page, or call now at 509-368-9368. So that's all for today. Thanks for following along with us. We hope that this has been educational and fun. Our podcast can be found on most major podcasting platforms. So go ahead and download and subscribe. Give us a five-star review. And if you liked it, share it with your friends. If you have any burning inquiries or requests, maybe helpful tips for our errata, please reach out to us at medstudentspanish at gmail.com or reach us on Twitter at Los Vatos Medicos. See you next time. Ciao. This podcast was produced and edited by Speak Spokane.